1: welcome to dropping the gloves i uh, hope you're doing well thanks for joining us tim's back tim how you doing my friend
0: it's good to be back how was your solo episode did you like it um no
1: i didn't like it i hated it but it was good it was it gave me a newfound respect for what you bring to the show <laughs> all of your energy it was it was uh it was not good tim we're good to have you back how was your vacation
0: it was good. It wasn't really a vacation. I, I was working, but um, it was good to be back in Boston for a few days and surprise my mom. And she was very surprised and, and she had no idea I was coming and we had a nice dinner and, and uh, it was good, but it's good to be back in Michigan as well.
1: Very good. Yeah. Glad to have you back. It was, it was strange doing an episode without you. I, I tried to do a positivity ma- uh, episode. I don't know if you listened to it, but we've just been so negative lately, especially me. I was like, I know. We're have a good positive, like episode. Try to try to spread that positivity." And I, I did, I did my best. It's hard to just be positive all the time. It really is.
0: It really it's like, hard. It's it's hard, especially when there's like so much low hanging fruit for like guys and players and teams to just like pick apart. You know, it's hard to like look at the talk about the positive stories sometimes.
1: Well, it's just like it's just like the the car wreck on the side of the road when you're driving by it. You just you can't help but look at it. You're and there's so up. many
0: in the league right now
1: there's a lot of train wrecks and car crashes. Like there is a lot. So it's hard not to look. And then like, we put all these social things out and just like every social thing we put out is just me like ripping out a player. I feel bad.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We gotta, we gotta turn that around a little bit, but not today. Not today.
1: Well, last night I I texted you. I was like, are you watching this Philadelphia Flyers game right now? It was, it was a shellacking. Like I've never seen before. I've, I've been a part of some epic, Losses. When I was with the Blackhawks, we went into Edmonton and I think they beat us nine to two, maybe eleven to two. I can't but remember the f- what's your huh? claim to fame
0: though?
1: Oh, it was plus one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, plus one in that game. But that was a beatdown. We at least put a goal on the board. The Philadelphia Flyers. The preseason Stanley Cup favorites, I don't want to say favorite, but a definite contender when people were talking about Stanley Cup contenders coming out of the East, they just got absolutely lambasted, like worked by the New York Rangers. Mika Zabinijad finally woke up and had himself a game. He had six points in one period, tied an NHL record with Brian Trace. Six points in one period. I don't even think I have six points in my whole career. Like, that's a heck of a feat to have six points, three goals, three assists in one period. What do you think of the Philadelphia Flyers, Tim? What, what has gone wrong with them?
0: Well, let me ask you this first. You know, teams get shellacked all the time, you know, 5 nothing, 6 nothing. Like, it's, it, it happens, uh, and it can happen to even the best of teams. You have an off night, no big deal but nine nothing i feel like it's got to be something deeper than that this is not just a normal like hey just not our night you know like it seemed like it's a, a, it's a deeper I don't know, institutional organizational issue with the, with the players, with the coaches, especially since the Rangers. I don't know how big of a deal it is, but the Rangers had zero of their full-time coaching staff last night because of COVID. So they had a couple of guys that were like Chris Drury came down from the press box. He, I think he works as a part assistant GM or something. So he's about as good as anyone you can ask for, for, you know, a last minute coach. But it's it's strange to think about just like how the Rangers were able to just dominate and just the Flyers had nothing. They couldn't generate any chances. They had no offense, no defense. Is it, is it indicative of a deeper issue or is it just as simple as just not their night? I just think it's not their night.
1: I I don't think there's a deeper issue. I think as a player, once you get down like three, four, five, nothing, you just do your best to not get embarrassed and to not like you, you have to stop the bleeding as best as possible. But when it's not your night, it's not your night. And when you give up six goals in the second, you're down eight, nothing. I think they were going into the third. It's, it's a tough, sorry. No, they, they were down nine, nothing going into the third. Like they, they really, really just got smoked in those first two periods. And you just kind of throw in the towel. You said, all right, you know what? I'm not going to really put myself out there. I'm not going to get hurt. We're just going to, you know, we're, we're, we're playing for, for tomorrow. That's really what you do. You try not to rack up the minuses. You try to, you know, like I said, stop the bleeding. And I don't know, Philly's a good team, which is which is very strange, but are they good? You know what I mean? Going into the season, I was I was on their bandwagon. I, I was all about Drew. I was all about Voracek. Nolan Patrick's going to have his breakout year. Carter Hart, he's the next Carey Price. I was all about these – New, uh, Philadelphia Flyers. What has gone wrong, Tim? Like, I don't understand what what this team is missing right now because on paper, they have a heck of a team. I, I don't know. Break it down for me, Tim. You, you see them a lot with as being a Bruins fan.
0: Yeah, and, and think about like last year, we saw what Carter Hart did in the season, but especially in the playoff bubble. And everyone's, you know, there was conversations around like if you had to build – your franchise around one young goaltender. Who is it? And conver- Carter Hart was the entire conversation. Like he was literally being compared to the Carey Price. He was arguably the best goalie in the league, and he was just dominating at, at a young age. We're like, okay, this kid's going to be the in, in the conversation for the Vesna for the next decade plus. But this year, he's got a three point seven five goals against average, eight eighty save percentage. He's seven six and three three overtime losses. Is, is not great. I don't know. I don't have an answer for that. I mean, Brian Elliott's been a little bit better. He was the one that started last night. So he, he kind of, he's uh, not been on his best game either, but he's been better than Carter Hart, which isn't saying much. I don't know if it, if it, you know, as part of being a young goal, you have to kind of stumble and you have to go through these, these lulls in your career as, as players start to figure you out. Right. And you're not really the, the new kid on the block anymore. That's just surprising everyone. Um, But I also know goaltending is such a cerebral position. If you start to slip a little bit, it's easy to really start to to really slide downhill. And if you're – if you're thrown off, if you have a bad couple of nights in a row, if you're having a bad couple of weeks in a row, it's really hard to get back in that just because so much of the goalie position is mental it's not just as simple as as your timing or getting your speed right it's just it's a, it's a mental game, and obviously Carter Hart is not himself this year, and it's surprising to say because we had them pegged as like you said one of the the top you know contenders in this in this division and certainly in the league, and now Carter Hart is just the flyers won't be a good team unless if Carter Hart's not a good goalie it's as simple as that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think um, one of the big hits that happened to Philadelphia right before this season is Matt Niskanen just up and retired. And I feel like they were not going to rely on him a lot, but he is just a good, solid defenseman who eats up minutes. And when you lose a guy like that, that that's a big hit. Their defense is – it's not inspiring. Like, they, they're having issues with Shane Gosh's how do you say his name? Gustus Bear here? Gustus Bear. Gostis Bear. Bear. He's such an enigmatic player where there's sometimes he you watch him and he's just an all-star out there and he carries the game and he it's effortless for him and other times you watch him out there and he just seems lost. He,
0: he's a coach's nightmare. He's an absolute coach's nightmare that guy. 2 years ago he had 65 points. 65 at like 24 years old or something. Like it's crazy. And now he's he's being healthy scratch. I, I've heard that he's he's producing a little bit better this season. He's been he's passing the eye test a little bit better, but he's but he's a shell of what he was. It's crazy. Yeah,
1: it's very strange. You feel like this game is like it, it's made for him. He's a small puck moving defenseman. He can get up in the play. Like you think it was just made for him, but he he's not having a great year. He's got eight points in twenty games. He's not lighting the world on fire. I just think they don't have the defenseman that you need in today's type of game that can jump up in the rush, create offense, and just make plays from the back end like like you need. They really don't. Gustafson, they thought he was going to have a great year. You mentioned it to me earlier, Tim. He had two assists in his first game. Everyone's like, whoa, heads up. How many points does he have the rest of the season so far?
0: He's got eight in the 25 games since. And it's crazy because, like, you know – He really – I think that the Flyers were the first game of the season and he had two assists, but they weren't just apples. They were like highlight play, highlight real plays. And it was like, oh, my God, Gustafsson, he's going to kind of go back to the Chicago self when he had like 56 points or something like that. Um, But, yeah, he's he's not done much of anything. But I want to talk more about the offense because you got Claude Giroux and Jacob Voracek, arguably the the, the two stars of the team, the, the two kind of mainstays on that top couple lines, and they've got a combined 10 goals right? Like, that's that's not enough. That's not what you need from your top players. You, t- you said it a few months ago. Claude Giroux, like, if he doesn't produce, the Flyers aren't going to win. Like, we, we talked about that. Um, Nolan Patrick, second overall pick a couple of years ago. He's in his third season. He's only got six points, three goals, minus 13. Like, he's not progressing like like he should be at this point. And then, yeah, like, there's just so much like that. I mean, Jacob Voracek is, is I don't know, he's, he's getting older. I get that. But like, you guys, you got to, you got to expect more out of your top players. And and the standings are not doing these guys any favor. They're right now fifth uh, in their division with the Rangers breeding down their neck. And, you know, Boston, they're only three points behind Boston, but Boston, like we talked about, has got eight games left against Buffalo. And Boston also has uh, fewer games in hand than... The team's above them. They've got 27, but Pittsburgh is 29. Islanders have 30. Washington is 29. So Boston's actually in a really good spot to, to clinch down and seize that, that division. So the Flyers are, are not looking too good, and they're kind of going to be stuck in that no-man's land, but they're not tanking. They're not going to get a high draft pick, but they're not going to make the playoffs. And even if they do, they're not going to scare anybody. So I don't, I don't know. It's kind of – we haven't spent much time talking about the Flyers, but clearly they are not uh, – something's not right for these guys.
1: Well, you mentioned the draft, and it got me thinking. Nolan Patrick was a high draft pick. He was supposed to be a – can't. When you, when you draft players, if you're in the top three, you, sh- you should arguably be a, a can't-miss prospect. And it just got me thinking, okay, well, who was selected around, uh, around him? Who was selected after him? You always do the what if, the, the hindsight's twenty twenty. That was a very uninspiring draft. And, and it's just very strange when you look at these drafts. I just went back and looked at the last four. He was drafted in 2017. He was two, number two overall. Like he, yep. he, ha- he, has, he, he passes all the, the tests when you look at him on paper. He's a tall kid. He's a centerman. He's a big body. He can control the puck. He played well in the WHL when he was with the Brandon Wheat Kings. Like From the eye test, the kid's going to be a stud. And he just hasn't panned out for whatever reason. I don't know why, if he doesn't have the mentality, he seems to really enjoy the game. Like, I i don't know. I don't know why. Maybe that was just a bad draft class. But Nico Hirshire was first. He's, he's played okay. You know, he hasn't been the number one overall pick like you would expect him to play, like a superstar, all-star guy. Miro Heiskanen, number three. Kyle McCarr, number four. Pedersen, number five. So a pretty decent top five, but not – you know what I mean? It, it just doesn't really – it's not a sexy top five, in my opinion. I go back the year prior, and this is what I mean. Their top five, it's Austin Matthews, Patrick Laine, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Jesse Polviari, um, and then a guy from Finland, Oli Uleva, but then Matthew Kachuk, Clayton Keller, Alexander Nylander, Mikhail Sergachev, like really, really quality players, guys who are different makers on their team, superstars, arguably the best player in the NHL, Austin Matthews, number one. So it's just is like if I'm a GM, I'm hoping I hit one of those like sweet spots with the draft class. If I have a top three pick, but maybe it just wasn't one of those years. Nolan Patrick, maybe any other year, he's going to be like a 14, 15, 16 year overall. I don't know. But you just mentioned draft. They're going to capitalize in the draft if they don't get a high draft pick or if, whatever. I think their big problem is they're just old. You know, they, They've been through too many wars. Claude Giroux, Jakob Voracek. You call him Jacob, I call him Jakob. Do you know uh, how it's pronounced?
0: Uh, no, he told me to call him Jacob, so that's what I call him. See, I don't even know. I
1: just call him Jakob because I I have no idea. But we'll call him Jake. I just think they're too old, Tim. I honestly do. I think uh, father time is getting the best of them. It's not like they're having a bad year. They're still getting 20, 21 points, but – when you look around the league, the teams that are really succeeded, their top guys are – they're really carrying the load. So if Philly doesn't get those two guys going, it, it's hard to win when your top two money-getting forwards are not carrying the luggage. Like, James – JBR is playing well. Yeah. Farabee's been a revelation. He's played really well. But when, um, when Jake and Claude aren't you know, carrying the load, you're not going to win many games.
0: No, and and those guys, I mean, they've always been pass-first-forwards, especially Claude, but, like, six goals is just not enough. It's, it's just not enough. And you, you, you need him to produce more. I mean, yeah, JVR is having a good season. He's got 13 goals, 29 points in 27 games. Like we haven't seen this from him in, in a long time. And he's, and he's talked about like a power forward. He's a big body. He doesn't really play that big, but, but he can use the space well. He creates space. Joel and another guy that kind of been, been lighting it up really since the beginning of the season. He was another guy that started early, had some big goals. Um, I think he had one or two on opening night as well. Another guy that we don't talk about is uh, Sean Couturier, who he missed some time. He was down for injury for a couple of weeks, but he's got 19 points in 17 games. Like He's, he's producing. Um, he's not on the leaderboard like the other guys just because of the games that he missed, but he's such an important part of their team. And arguably, you can make the argument that he's the most important player on this roster, or at least among the skaters, because he, he plays the defensive side of the puck so well. He can create offense. He can score goals, but he can also shut down Uh, other teams as we saw you know with his uh selkie nomination so uh there are some bright spots and like yeah they're still in an okay place in the standings yeah they still have some offense so they're not like a disaster by any means but it's just not what we thought we'd see from the flyers and i think especially the, the biggest kind of question mark right now is carter hart i don't i haven't seen too many of the games i'd love to know more why he's struggling but where he goes the flyer goes and right now it's it's just it's not looking good
1: yeah, and I don't really see a light at the end of the tunnel uh, for the Philadelphia Flyers. I really do think it's it's the defensive. It's the back end. Chuck Fletcher, he was my GM in Minnesota. He likes a big, heavy defense for some odd reason. And when you have four or five D-men who can't you know, jump up in the play, they can't be uh, effective offensively, it's tough. Like I said, I'll say it. Now I'll say it a million times. You need your defense in today's game to jump up in the rush in order to create any kind of offense. Teams are so good defensively. Forwards backtrack so well. The gap is always there. The centerman is usually high in every four check. So if you can't get a D-man beating his forward up the ice into the rush, you're never going to get those odd man rushes. You're never going to create offense. That's That's the big part of the game. And Philly just doesn't have that. Like they have three guys – who have played over 20 games, and between them they have 10 points. So that's just not going to – it's just not going to work. Do you see them having any chance, Tim? They're only in fifth. They're three points behind the Boston Bruins. The Bruins aren't exactly improving. Um, Like you said, they play the Sabres eight times. That's going to be a nice little boon to their point total. Is is there any chance for Philadelphia to sneak into the fourth spot?
0: I mean, there's a chance. Of course there's a chance. And and even like uh Pittsburgh, you know, could could slide and especially cuz they got their own goalie troubles. Uh, Tristan Jerry has not lived up to snuff at least what he thought he would be. He's been picking it up lately, but um I would say not likely. And honestly, I could easily see the Rangers surpassing them and fighting for that fourth spot um with with Boston. So no, I I don't think there's a there's no chance, but it's it's not likely the Flyers make the playoffs. And like I said, they're going to be kind of stuck in that no man's land. Um, I don't know if they do make the playoff. Carter Hart turns it on like he did in the bubble last year. They're as good as anyone in the league, so it, I think that's probably what they're hoping for. Right? Is is to kind of capture that magic they captured last year? But I don't think it's looking good for them. Like I said, and I don't really see them making the playoffs.
1: We are halfway through the season right now. Exactly halfway for most of the teams. It's a how many games? Fifty six. Yep. So yeah, we're we're pretty much halfway. A little over. I think the top four teams in the East Division, those are going to be your top four at the end of the season. Yep. I, I I firmly believe Washington and the New York Islanders are locked in at the top two. Maybe one will slip to three if they if they have a you know a bad week or a bad week or two. I think Pittsburgh and Boston are going to slide in in three four. I just don't see. New York being able to make up that much ground. I know it's only six points, but it's, that's a big deal. It's three games. I just don't know. I think those four are locked in. If you're going to pick a team to come out of this division, who is it going to be? And has this division kind of let you down? Because at the beginning of the season, this was, this was murderer's row. When I know when they do the world cup selection, there's, there's a group of death and this was my group of death in the NHL. Has this division let you down? Because there's been so many teams that have just, they've just skidded to a halt. They haven't really played up to what we thought they were going to play to.
0: No, I don't think they let me down. I mean, look at just like the streaks. I think you mentioned it last episode, but Washington's, 9-1 9-1 in their last 10. Islanders, 9-1 in their last 10. They just had their win streak broken. I think they had won 12 in a row something like that. Pittsburgh, 7-3. Like, these teams are good. These teams are vibing. These, these teams are clicking. Um, I think a couple of disappointments, yeah, like, like Philadelphia, like we talked about. Buffalo, New Jersey is sort of what we expected. Maybe not that bad. Um this and is Boston
1: say Buffalo streak.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah. Is it twelve in a row now? Oh, that's that's the Buffalo. twelve number. Yeah. We're staying positive, Tim.
0: Yeah, lost oh God, these poor guys. And then uh yeah, like Boston has struggled lately, so I guess you could say they're a disappointment. But the division as a whole, like this is still a strong division. The Islanders, they lost Anders Lee for the rest of the season, so that's it's gonna be tough. Head. Yeah, I wonder if they go out and get a Taylor Hall now and try to fill its spot on the top couple lines. But Anders Lee is not only their, their arguably best goal scorer, but he's their captain too. So that's a really big hit. Um, tough, it's a tough loss. But no, I think it's still a good division. What about you?
1: The trade? Well, I, I think it's a little bit of letdown. I, I don't think it's the best division anymore. Um, I think the West is strong. Uh, but I think the central division is actually surprising me. I don't know. It would be interesting to shake out if it was a real season, actually, who has the best division, but like Florida has been surprising. Tampa Bay has been great. Carolina has been surprising. So who knows? I think every division has the elite three that are like three really, really great teams. And then the next five are, you know, somewhat competitive. And then there may be a couple just duds in there, but I don't think no one division has a solid four that are just like really, really, really a great four
0: teams. So, okay. Speaking of the West, did you see what the sharks, what happened in the sharks, uh, nights game last night?
1: Uh, the Vegas golden Knights won again, five to four. They're on a, a nice streak of their own. And, uh, there was a couple fights.
0: Yeah. So we talked to Curtis Gabriel last night or last week. Um, Thomas Hurdle, Tomas Hurdle, and Logan Couture both fought. If you're on that Sharks team in your role, John Scott, whenever you were like six years ago, whatever, and you and those two guys dropped the gloves, what's going through your head as the enforcer who's who's there to protect those guys and make sure they don't have to? What's going through your mind? Are you are you upset? Are you angry? Are you nervous that your job's on the line? Like what's going through your head?
1: I'm not allowed to talk about Curtis Gabriel anymore. Um, I got in trouble. So I'm going to just be all positive. No, but in all seriousness, for the Logan Couture fight, I'm excited. He's our captain. He is plays a physical game. I, I think that's a good thing. When I see the Thomas Hurdle fight, I'm absolutely um, irate. I'm upset. Uh, he should not be doing that. He's coming back from injury. He is one of our, if not our best offensive threat. It, it, it does make me kind of question how I've done my job you know, through the whole night. I'm supposed to be the guy to answer for that. Usually, if a tough guy does his job, all that other stuff settles down. So, listen, I didn't watch the game. I'm not going to point figures. I'm sure Curtis Gabriel ran through 17 brick walls and challenged everybody and the coaches and all the fans. I'm sure he did that. So, whatever it is, I'm upset if I'm Ryan Reeves and Curtis Gabriel because my star guys should not be fighting. But it's nice to see a star fight. You know what I mean? Sometimes it pumps you up. I know on my teams, when the captain would drop his gloves, Johnny Taves would drop his gloves, I loved it. But if Patrick Kane dropped his gloves, I would be upset. I'm like, what are you doing, Kaner? And on the Sharks, Thomas Hurdle is Patrick Kane. He is their guy. He, he generates offense. He's, he's the guy. So you don't want him fighting. Is that Curtis Gabriel's fault or Ryan Reeves' fault that those, you know, Mark Stone fought or Thomas Hurdle fought? No. You know, it's it's a game. It's hockey. There's fighting. But I would think I did not do my job well that night when I got off the ice. That's just the honest truth. But I'm sure, like I said, Curtis did all he could. Ryan Reeves scored a goal. They had a great game. Whatever. I don't want to get in trouble anymore, Tim. I got to be complimentary about him. Mean, who am I kidding? I don't care if I get in trouble. I, yeah, I, I don't think he did his job that great. I don't want to bag on the kid. But if, if you have Thomas Hurdle fighting,
0: you're not doing your job. What about if, if it's Hurdle who initiated the fight? Does that change anything?
1: I, I think if you are doing your job, none of that stuff happens. All the after whistle curriculum, you settle that down. You, you, unless that's what you want. If you want your guys going in there and starting trouble. I was always of the ilk where it's like, okay, if, if that stuff starts to creep into the game, I need to step out there and settle it down. I need to let the other team know that they're not going to face wash. They're not going to take liberties. They're not going to stick. They're not going to poke. And I'm going to do my best to kind of just settle it down. And usually if I go out and fight the tough guy, that's on their team, that settles everything down. You'd be surprised what a fight does between two tough guys. It settles everybody down. It kind of squashes all the beef and everybody's like, okay, now we can just go about our business. You'd be amazed at how often that happens. So I don't know. Maybe I'm full of it. I don't know, but. You never want to see Thomas Hurtle fighting. Hey, guys, you want the puck on his tape. You don't want his gloves on the ice. Write that down.
0: I just did. Thank you. That's great advice.
1: You're welcome, Tim. What else we got to talk about?
0: No, that's that's all I got for today. I just, the Flyers have been on my mind, and, and we've barely talked about them at all this season. So um, it's good to to let it all off my chest. But I do hope um, the Bruins, you know, they're playing Buffalo tonight. I hope they, they just – dummy them and I hope they kind of turn things around because they are making me nervous. I, I try to convince myself that they're not, but they are. And I think they're as dangerous as anyone if they make the playoffs, but they got to get there first. So tell hopefully. me this.
1: I, I I saw a, a trade proposal. It was Taylor Hall for David Krejci. Would you make that trade? And the Bruins would have to throw in a first rounder. No. Why
0: not? Well, First of all, who's who does Hall play with? If you get rid of Krejci, your second center would be Charlie Coyle then, but that messes up like the whole lineup. Like the whole point is to find a winger for Krejci, so no, especially throwing in the first. Um, especially you now, I would also think about the uh, the salary cap is a part of it. Do they eat some of Hall's contract?
1: They make, they make similar money, so the salary wouldn't really be an issue. Maybe Buffalo could eat some of Taylor Hall's contract to help Boston, maybe have a little more a little more room to make some more moves
0: yeah maybe and hall's certainly the more talented guy but if you think about just like i mean crechey's he's he's good in the playoffs right he's he's always he always has been especially what do you always say what do you need to win stanley cups strength down the middle and good back end so but,
1: when you look at the bruins do they have that
0: they've got strength down the middle for sure bergeron yeah. Krejci, coil and then you know corral is a great fourth line center uh, but defense is got to be is got to be an issue. What did you did you see the hit the other night? Tanev on Tenorti?
1: I heard of it. I didn't see it. Was it okay. a questionable hit?
0: Uh, questionable. I don't think it was that dirty. It's just it was a strong hit. It was a couple of feet from the board, so Tenorti just flew in awkwardly. He's out um, with a lower body injury. They don't. I don't think they know exactly what's up with him yet. Tanev got thrown out. I don't think that's really a a, maybe maybe a minor for boarding or something, but really not that bad of a hit. Um, But it's just an unfortunate outcome of that. But I mean, not that Tenorti is a huge part of their back end, but he's big and strong and and he's got some size, so um, they clearly have some issues on on the defense. And if I'm the Bruins, I'm not really worried about Taylor Hall. I'm worried about um, finding a a one or two solid defensemen.
1: So we 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 mentioned the Bruins a few episodes ago about what they should do approaching this trade deadline, I said they should sell, sell the house and move on. So, uh, trade Tuka Rask, get as much as you can for him. Trade David Krejci, trade Brad Marchand, try to get as much as you can for these. Maybe not Marchand, but um, Patrice Bergeron, yes, he's, he's getting a little long in the tooth. As a Bruins fan, as a Bruins, you, you follow them. What do you think they should do at the trade deadline?
0: Add. Add defense. Add defense and some secondary scoring. I think you still need a winger for for Krejci, and I don't think you need to go get, like, a Taylor Hall-level type of player. Like, I don't think you – I mean, not that he's producing anything much, but the name there, like, you don't need to go get, like, a, a stud, a stallion for a winger. We got
1: to go. Thanks for listening. (laughs) I'm kidding. Go
0: ahead. But you got to do something better than what, like, Andre Kasha and Jake Dabrowski and those guys are are providing. Um, So, certainly some secondary scoring. And then I would want a top four defenseman, at least one, and maybe like a seventh-eighth defenseman, uh, like a McQuaid type of player, like someone who can just eat, eat some minutes, kind of slot in the lineup if you need them, add some toughness. Um, I don't think they're far off, and you know, if they're in the playoffs, I think they're they're a team that no one wants to be matched against. I think it's just a matter of finding a couple of complementary pieces, and and hopefully, um, hopefully they do that. Hopefully, they don't stand still because they have a bad habit of doing that, and and hoping that not wanting to mortgage any kind of future stuff in in exchange for um, some help now, but in the other, it is a reason they haven't won a cup in ten years. So,
1: yeah, uh, they either have to go all in or just. Yeah, sell a bunch of guys because they're in this holding pattern. Like you said, they don't like to make the big moves. I don't know. We'll see. One other um, little tidbit I wanted to touch on and get your opinion. The Buffalo Sabres fired Ralph Kruger. Not really a surprise. Maybe somewhat of a surprise. I know some of the players really enjoyed playing for him. I feel like he is, like, happy to get out of there. That's just been a terrible stretch for him in Buffalo. Is this a desirable job to coach the Buffalo Sabres at this point or are, is it just career suicide? If you're, if you're a coach, just say this is your first coaching experience. Just say you're an AHL guy, a college guy, someone who's looking to get their foot in the door. Do you take this job?
0: Well, it's got to be a low-pressure job for whoever's next, right? Because, like, the bar is so low. Like, this is one of the worst teams in years. So anyone who comes in, it's, it's going to be hard to produce any worse than what Kruger's done here. Um, and you also have some pretty attractable franchise pieces with Eichel, with Darlene, with Dylan Cousins. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think most of those, especially if you mentioned like a minor league coach or a college coach who just wants to – I don't think anyone's expecting them to come in and, and and make a playoffs next year. But if they can kind of take some steps in the right direction and get some production out of those top players, especially Eichel, we haven't seen him produce this year, even when he was healthy. So um, I think it's a low-pressure situation that really you you can't do worse, right? Right.
1: I don't know. Well, that's what we said about them coming into this year. I'm like you can't do worse than last year, <laughs> yeah. and then here we are. Here we're here. I have heard, so call me crazy, Mike Babcock almost went to Buffalo before he went to Toronto. The Sabres threw – they backed the truck up for this guy and just said, take all the money you want, come to Buffalo. And he almost came. He almost went to Buffalo. Can you ever in your wildest dreams imagine Mike Babcock leaving the University of Saskatchewan where he's coaching their hockey team right now and jumping back in the NHL ranks – for the Buffalo Sabres. I I'll, here I'll give you my I don't think he does it. But if you if you offer a coach just say the offer him 8 million bucks a year, are you going to turn down that kind of money?
0: I mean, no. Like who who would? Uh, not many people would turn that kind of money down, especially because I don't think he likes being out of the spotlight either. He I don't likes think he's like some Mike. He does. He's, he's not getting much attention. I didn't even know he's coaching at the university of Saskatchewan. So um, I'm, I'm sure he would not be happy to hear that. He, well, he wants to hear me talk about him every night. So yeah, Mike Babcock, I, I, I could see him doing that. I don't know how he's going to gel with a player like Eichel. And I know Eichel, whether there's truth to this or not, but there's certainly been tons of rumors about him having issues with the coaches. They, they say he got Dan Bilesma fired. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's, that's what's been going on. So is Eichel the kind of guy that will get along with a, with a Mike Babcock? Maybe. I mean, Babcock's a player's coach, right?
1: Apparently. I don't know. He, he definitely uh, did not get along with Mitch Marner in Toronto. So we'll see what comes of this. Uh, I think there's only 32 jobs in the NHL. There will be next year when Seattle joins. It, it's, a, it's a primo job. You want, you want to be in the NHL. It'll be interesting to see who they get. They're definitely signing up for some lean years. They have some bad contracts on that team. But we've seen it before. It just takes a few, a few different pieces being added, and you can turn your team right around. You know, maybe Skinner just snaps out of it. Maybe Kyle Poso has a, has a great year. He's back to his former self that he was 10 years ago. I don't know, Tim, but I will definitely be watching. On that note, everybody, I hope you have a good weekend. I hope you go out and have some fun. It's supposed to be beautiful. We will talk to you guys next week. Cheers, everybody.